Yo, Trey. Kevin, what's up, man? You know, I've been thinking, what would have happened if the NBA never vetoes the Chris Paul trade to the Lakers and we get CP3 in the same backcourt as Kobe in L.A.? Well, you get a very happy Jack Nicholson, for sure. And the Lakers probably win a bunch more championships. CP3 finally gets a ring or two or three. And the Kardashian empire is forever altered. What did you just say? Hey, everybody, I'm Trey Wingo. And I'm Kevin Frazier, and we're teaming up on a new weekly sports podcast from Wondery Alternate Routes. As former sports center anchors and current sports obsessives, we're consumed by all the what-if questions that make being a sports fan so excruciatingly fun. If you're like us, then you also live and die on the fallout from every drop pass. Or play call. Each week on Alternate Routes, we'll take a flashpoint in sports, break down what actually happened, then explore every alternate scenario and the ripple effects it would have caused. Follow Alternate Routes on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus. Presented by T-Mobile, the official wireless partner of Odyssey Sports. With an awesome network and great savings, there's never been a better time to join T-Mobile. Visit your neighborhood store to make the switch today. The Mets were a remarkably consistent team, but they did it by being consistent. They did it, and this is why this guy's the MVP of my team. All right? Who's the MVP of the 2022 New York Mets? The MVP to me of the 2022 New York Mets is Edwin Diaz because they featured a closer that was as close to a living, breathing God as I think we as Met fans have seen in a very, very long time. I hate to bring up his name. Armando Benitez had some damn good regular seasons. (laughs) No, but seriously, if you're thinking, okay, John Franco, Billy Wagner, Tug McGraw, Jesse Orozco, Armando Benitez, and you're trying to come up with great closer seasons, I, I, I find it very tough to find anything that would match with Edwin Diaz did. Because he didn't blow a save since May. I think that game against the Giants, that wild game against the Giants, was the last time he blew a game. He was asked routinely at times, hey, come in and get three outs in the eighth inning. It's different, but we need you to do it. There are better hitters coming up in the eighth inning. Buck did it a bunch of times. Diaz responded every freaking time. Or how about the times when he went to Edwin Diaz in the eighth inning and said, okay, now finish the job, which he did. So it wasn't strictly come in with a three-run lead, put a couple of guys on base and escape. He dominated most of the season. He was put in very tough spots most of the season, whether it's getting more than three outs or protecting a really small lead against good hitters. And if you have an average closer, not a bad closer, an average closer, take Kenley Jansen, who I know is painful to call average because he's not average against the Mets. He's God against the Mets. But Kenley Jansen blew seven saves this year, if I'm not mistaken. If you give the Mets an average closer, who you can't routinely ask, come in and get four or five outs, who will blow a game here and there and have a complete implosion, the Mets win five less games, six less games. And I know that's what war is all about. That's how you define it. Well, what about Lindor? He's a five-war player. Look, I'm just judging this without looking at war. I'm judging it by watching the team every day. Who could you not take away? If you took this guy away, everything's different. And to me, just me, that guy's Edwin Diaz. Obviously, Francisco Lindor and Jeff McNeil and Pete Alonso in very different ways, because they're all very different players, had three elite-level seasons. Congratulations to Jeff McNeil winning the batting title. As a fan, does that do a lot for me? Not really, but for him, good for him. That's a great individual accomplishment. No question about it. 
I got no issue with him playing the final game of the season. But hey, I'm a guy who had no issue with Jose Reyes. Never had an issue with Jose Reyes. Why? Guys take themselves out of games winning a batting title all the time. I think what pissed people off about Reyes is that it was a bunt. He was a free agent. He left as a free agent. I think that that was really the thing that annoyed people. But Jeff McNeil had a great year this year, a, a consistent year this year. What I also loved about Jeff is that whether it's second base, right field, left field, don't matter. The guy was sturdy defensively and had, I'd say, a borderline gold glove year at second base. I think he was great defensively. Obviously, Lindor, up until the Atlanta series, I almost have to preface that now every time, had what I thought was a really clutch season. Had a really good season. His defense was very good. I'm being careful with how I say that because it's not a knock. He's very good defensively. I don't view him, and look, how many innings have we seen of him now? I don't look at him as, oh, world, oh, my God, defensively at shortstop. I think he's very good. Okay, that's how I would define it. He's very good. He's fine. And obviously, Pete. Pete had a, an awesome power season for a lineup that didn't feature a lot of power. Guy goes out and hits 40-plus home runs. Guy goes out and drives in a million runs. I thought, for the most part, he had a very clutch season. Again, if you take out the weekend against the Atlanta Braves that closed out the regular season. And look, Chris Bassett had a consistent season. Taiwan Walker, I thought, had a real solid season. It looked like he was going to have another second-half meltdown. He did not. And the other thing I got to give the Mets credit for, when you talk about how they won 101 games, their rotation depth did a really good job this season. You're never going to go through a season with five starters. You're always going to have to ask guys to step up, and it started right out of the gate with Tyler McGill on opening day. Tyler McGill, and I know we forget about it now because of the injuries, because he hasn't been dominant out of the bullpen. Now I think he's on the COVID list. But Tyler McGill for the first month of the season was damn good. In fact, let me remind you of a conversation that I heard on WFA numerous times. Hey, who do you take? Nestor Cortez or Tyler McGill? Like they were in the same conversation for about a month. Obviously, that went away. Uh, So McGill did a very good job early on. I thought David Peterson throughout the regular season did a pretty good job filling in. Uh, How about Trevor Williams? And even Trevor Williams ending, putting a finish to the regular season by giving, you know, six innings and assuring himself he's not going to be on the wild card roster. But Trevor Williams did a really good job filling in as well. So rotation depth, which is always important, always important, was something that the Mets got this season. And it's a part of how we got here which is 101 wins. The resiliency they showed this year. I remember we were making lists early on, best win of the year, best win of the year, best win of the year. And there are so many. They had a lot of great come from behind. They never give up wins. I think the test of time for me is still that game against the Phillies where they're down 7-1 in the ninth. But even that more recent game against the Philadelphia Phillies on that Sunday afternoon when they called up, uh, what's his name, Budo, to make his major league debut He gets bombed. Mark Canna hits a game-tying home run. Then Gene Segura puts the Phillies ahead. Then Canna hits another home run, and the Mets won that game. Those two Philly games jump out at me, but it was was a season in which they showed a lot of fight, a lot of resilience, and that's why before we ever break down the wild-card series or get into what could cause this team to fail, I'll say this emotionally. When you have a season like we just witnessed, all those positives that it's easy to forget because they blew the division over the final few weeks, 
But when you think back to all those wins, does that sound like a team that's going to bow out early? That, that's what I, I guess I hold my hat on, and I hope, I wrap my legs around and hope that that team, I just went through some of those wins, the game against the Cardinals earlier this season on the road where Arenado makes the error. And there's just so many of these games where you say to yourself, that's the team that's going to blow the NL East and then lose two of three at home in a wild card series. Look, that may be the team. Maybe they do get bowed out early and we're left kind of looking around saying, how the hell did that happen? But I guess that's where deep down I try to have some faith that that team isn't going to go down early. That's not the team that's going to bow out early. Old man winter here. If I had it my way, it would stay winter all year long. Short days, wind chill, black ice, and a good polar vortex. Oh, <laughs> heaven. Wait, is it getting warm in here? Your cold snap is over, old man winter. Spring has arrived. Spring. Spring is here, which means it's the perfect time to get away in the Hyundai you've always wanted. Visit the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event, where you can get great deals on all of our award-winning Hyundai models, like the tech-filled Tucson and Kona, as well as the spacious Palisade. Enjoy wherever you go with the peace of mind that comes with America's best warranty and three years or 36,000 miles of complimentary maintenance. But hurry in. These deals won't last. Add more joy to your journey at the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Now get 0% APR or up to 1500 bonus cash on the Hyundai Tucson. Now, during the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Offers end soon. Call 562-314-4603 for details. Listen, I mean, the one thing I will say, you've nailed it with with a lot of these moments this season as a whole has been for 101 wins, you've got to look at the highlights and say, wow, this is impressive what they've done. And like we talk about Pete Alonso setting records for RBI totals, for, for Francisco Lindor putting together, offensively speaking, one of the best seasons of all time as a shortstop. Like these are moments that like this is really a good team. And the res- like you said, the resilience – They've never bowed down to more than three in a row. Like uh, it's this, I. It's upsetting how the team didn't collapse, but they blew the division. Yeah, that that I think that's a softer way of putting it. They blew the division. They didn't collapse. The freaking great team, and they've found other ways to win. At times, we never expected it. I do think it's going to be a decently long playoff run. I would love to say World Series or bust. I think that's always our expectations. And I, I will go on record saying that I still think the Mets, Mets can win the World Series. They're, they're, they are, from the get-go of the season, a World Series contender. No doubt can about it. Can win the World Series and winning the World Series are completely different things. But yeah, yeah, listen, they, they can, of course. I, I also think that anytime you get to this tournament, any team can. You know, Once you're there, anything can happen. As far as the division is concerned, I've heard a lot over the last 72 hours about how they blew the division. And I totally get it. I was sitting there for two of the three games against the Cubs. That jumps out at you, that you cannot get swept at home by the Chicago Cubs. Uh, Losing two out of three to the Washington Nationals, which at the time, I remember saying on the Rico, let's all calm down. They haven't lost a three-game series at home all season long. It was right after beating the Dodgers two out of three. It's not the end of the world. And then even when they struggled on that road trip in Miami and Pittsburgh, they won both series. Like, so we were all pissed off. We weren't happy with what they were doing. They still won two out of three against the Marlins. And they won two out of three against the Pirates. 
I think the Cubs series, yes, bad, yes, frustrating, gets a lot of attention. But to me, I think it comes down to Atlanta. I really do, because at the end of the day, you're playing your rival mano a mano. You've got your three best starting pitchers on the mound, and all you need to do is win a game. Not win the series, not sweep them, win a game. This isn't 1985 where you got to go to St. Louis and beat them every time. You have to go to Atlanta and win a game. So I've had a few days to think about it, and I've had some sleepless nights thinking about the Mets. I'll tell you the biggest sleepless night I had, I kid you not, and this is completely selfish, but I want to be honest with you. I could, And I'll finish that thought in a second, but I could not sleep Tuesday night to Wednesday. That was the night the Braves officially won the NL East, and the Padres officially locked in the five spot to assure that it would be Mets-Padres in the wild card round. And the reason I couldn't sleep is I needed to know what time Friday's game was. I was so fearful that it was going to be a day game. And again, purely selfish, I admit it. My dad, as a season ticket holder since 1973, brainwashed me to be a Met fan. And one of the ways he did it is we went to a lot of games. Me, my sister, my dad, my mom, not as much. He was never into baseball. But as a family, we grew up at Chase Stadium. So when they finally made the playoffs in 1999, I'm 16 years old at that time, so I'm a little bit older. Me and my dad went to every playoff game in 1999. We went to every playoff game in 2000. In 2006, this is a true story, I was working at Sirius Satellite Radio doing a job on Maxim Radio where I did nights. And I didn't love doing the job. I admit it. I, you know, I was making a decent living. I didn't love it. I had been there for two years, and I wanted to do something else. And I put in my resignation letter in September of 2006. And the real reason I picked that moment and that time to resign from my job is because I could not miss the Mets in the postseason for a job I didn't love. And so, yeah, I could easily say, I quit my job to watch the Mets in the playoffs. And it's partially true, but I do, if I'm being honest, I didn't love the job. I was going to quit at some point anyway. So 2006 went to every postseason. 2015, now I'm doing middays with John, my own man, every postseason game. I haven't missed a Met playoff game, home Met playoff game since 1988 because I was five and didn't know what was going on. So I'm going to sleep at night thinking, God, if this is a four o'clock game, like we'll have fun with it. We'll talk about the game on the air. I was thinking about we're going to have a viewing party. Like we'll make the best of it for the radio audience, but my God, I'm going to be freaking miserable. So the whole night off, I kept waking up, refreshing my phone to see, is there a start time? Is there a start time? Is there a start time? Wednesday morning comes, still no start time. So I wait until Craig, I know, is done with his TV show. And he told this story on the air, but it's absolutely true. 9.32, I call up Craig. He's like, yeah, what's up? I said, Craig. Get Manfred on the phone immediately. He's like, what are you complaining about? I said, can you just ask him what time this freaking Met game is on Friday night? That's all I need to know. You know what I prefer. Just get the info. And Craig's like, you know what? Okay. Five minutes later, I see I got a missed call. I guess my phone didn't ring. Craig, quickly dial back. And Craig, who had a chance to F with me. Hoff knows all about that. Let's play with each other's Twitter account. I mean, he's an effer. Like, he'll F with you. He did not F with me. He said, Evan, you're going to be happy. And as soon as he said that, I wanted to just kiss him in the, on the lips. 
even though we weren't together. And he said, yeah, you're going to get an eight o'clock start. I was so, so excited as it. And I admit, completely selfish. We all have stories like this. Maybe you're the opposite listening right now. I needed it to be a four o'clock game. Screw you, Evan. Whatever you prefer, I totally get it. Maybe you have a wedding. I don't know. Maybe you got some plans you can't get out of. Totally respect it. But when I heard the news was eight o'clock, I did a dance. I did a dance. And look, if the Mets go on a deep postseason run, is there inevitably going to be a postseason game that we're going to be on the air for? Probably. And I admit that. And I accept that. I just wanted to delay the inevitable as long as possible. Anyhow, I'm trying to remember the point I was going to make before I got into that. Uh, postseason is important. I don't know, but it was a great story. Oh, you like that story? Was that good? <laughs> Dude, that was fantastic. I mean, I, I know I've had like sleepless nights over like fantasy weeks and stuff <laughs> like that, but not over the start time of a game. Yeah, man, I mean, come on, dude. You you have to admit if that that would affect you if you know, like I can't go to this game if it's at this time, and not only not be able to go to the game, it's not like I'd be able to sit at home and watch it. I'd be on the radio. That's like the most torturous place to be while watching a playoff game. Oh, I was concerned when before, like I do the start times too. Like I, I had, uh, I bought the tickets prior to know anything, and I'm like, oh wait, there's a possibility they could start at like one o'clock. That screws me. So I, I, I bought the tickets with purpose of never actually having to go to the game. And then obviously when they blew the division, I'm like, oh man, I gotta, I have to figure out. I hope this time works out. So <laughs> it, it works out for everybody. Yes. By the way, how how early are you gonna get there? Because I plan to get there like by like six o'clock, the latest. Because I want to get there and like enjoy myself, well, and, like tailgate or do something. As you as you may or may not know, we have a radio show that ends at six thirty. So I will be on the Long Island Railroad, like I've done all season long. Basically, I take the Li Double R to Met games and have my car parked before the uh, the day before we do a show. So I'll take the Li Double R over, probably get over around seven, and that gives you a good hour before first pitch, in which I'd expect a crazy excited atmosphere. The price, I do, I must say, the prices are insane. And I mean the prices from the New York Mets. So as a season ticket holder, they give you a really big discount on ticket prices, which is great. I appreciate that. When you buy 81 games, you should get something for it. So I got my tickets. I'm fine. Like the prices to me are actually rather reasonable. But then I was looking at the game-by-game tickets that they're offering to the public. I did not buy any. Don't worry. I did not buy any more tickets than I need. But the prices were nuts, like to the point where I was saying to my dad, man, I, I think they're going to sell out because I think there's great excitement to see the Mets in the postseason. They always sell out, but the prices were so high, like so crazy high that you may do okay on the secondary market because you may pay less than whatever someone paid to buy them to begin with because they're so high. Like, I don't think anybody's going to be able to buy individual playoff tickets for this round, at least, and then flip it for much of a profit because the face value is so high. So look, at the end of the day, I hope the crowd is a hundred percent packed. I hope the crowd is loud. I expect it to be loud and it's going to be good to have playoff baseball back because it has been a long time. Six years ago is a very, very long time. 